0: Let's go ahead, when you get to your places, go ahead and stand. I appreciate your prayers for my wife being gone, and she got back from her grandmother's funeral yesterday and um, had the privilege of taking our our grandchild, picking her up in Statesville, taking her all the way down to Florida and having her there during the funeral and bringing her back. So we've got the little hoodlum at our house, so she's in the nursery. Hopefully she's not tearing up things right now. But um, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2 says this. It says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now, jump down all the way to verse number um, 15. You're going to find the eighth um, commandment. It says, Thou shalt not steal. And verse number 16 says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Um, Daniel, would you pray for us? Amen. You may be seated. On Sunday night last week, we went over, thou shalt not commit adultery. And when we talked about David, we looked at how they're so intertwined. All these commandments are intertwined. And when you look at what David did, he broke seven commandments out of the ten when he did what he did with Bathsheba. And so now we're getting into, thou shalt not steal, and thou thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And I will tell you, these are moral issues. And you've got to understand that tonight's a little different because it is coveting. And coveting is a moral issue, but it is inside of you. It's something that you can't... You, you might be coveting something and no one ever knows it because it's in your mind. It's a mindset. And sometimes you, you act out on that coveting and it can, it can hurt you. We'll talk about that tonight. But as you look at the first seven, let's go through and, and let, name all the other ones we've went through. The first one was what? Thou shalt what? have no other gods before me. No graven images. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. And then the next one goes with people places, peoples in possession, and we talked about what's the next one? Honoring your father and your mother. And how do you do that? We talked about that. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And today we're going to talk about stealing. And just to make the, the, the next ones a little bit shorter, we're just going to talk about not lying, okay? Thou shalt not bear false witness, and we'll get into that. But let's look at, I want to look at two stories this morning, and they're... Pretty in-depth, and I want you to see these, but I want you to talk about talk to you this morning about stealing. What does stealing mean? The definition of stealing, as Webster's dictionary says, is to take without permission or right, especially secretly or by force. There are people that steal things by force. But sometimes we steal things um, secretly. And so I want you to go to one story in the Old Testament. I want you to look at this. When I was thinking about these two commandments, there's two stories in the Bible. We've got to look through them all, and there's a lot of um, homework. We've got to look into it and set it all up and so you understand what's going on. Because we all know the first story. The first story is the Battle of Jericho. And when you study the Battle of Jericho, you go to Joshua chapter 6. Just follow along with me. You have a battle going on, and God's going to tell them exactly what they need to do. And in all actuality, when you look at it, you think there's no way with what God's telling him what to do that this can even happen. He, he lays a format out and he says, on the first day, you're going to get all these guys with horns and they're going to blow their horns and walk around and an army's going to be with you, but they're not saying a word. And he said, on the second day, you're going to do the same thing. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, you're going to do the same thing. But on the seventh day, you're going to walk around that, that city seven times. They're going to blow the horns the whole time. And when I tell you to shout, you're going to shout, and it's going to, the walls are going to fall down. Now, that's a great way to think this plan's going to work, but just think about what I just told you, how they were going to take this city. And to show you how fortified this city was, this was a city that they thought no one could destroy. They estimate the walls of the city where you could take seven chariots and run them side by side and go on top of that wall. And those walls were fortified with other things. People lived in the walls. And so this was a fortified city that they thought nothing could happen. So here's the story. Joshua tells them what to do, and they're going to do all these things. And they follow it to a T, but when you follow God's will, you've got to understand there's always rules to to that situation. And so let's look at some of the rules that they, that he mentions in this chapter. He tells them what to do, and then the directions for them are found in verse number 17 through 19. And it says, And the city shall be accursed, even it. And all that are therein to the Lord, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she, she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye and all... And, and, Ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing lest you make yourselves accursed when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel curse and trouble it. So he's saying, listen, you're not to take anything from this city. And it was a gigantic city and had a lot of wealth. But then he says the next thing. He says, but all the silver... And the gold and the vessels of brass and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So he's saying, listen, everything that is of value that the Lord's house can use, we're going to take it. The brass, the silver, the gold, the iron, we're going to bring it in and we're going to use it. It's just as simple as that. So if you keep going on this, you'll figure out that really quick. Go to verse number 27 also. I want you to see this. So the Lord was with jo- Joshua And his fame was noised throughout all the country. So here's what happens. They do everything they say. They blow the horns and they yell at the seventh day after the seventh time and everything falls down. You want to talk about God giving the victory? There was nothing that Joshua had done. It was everything that God had done. But these guidelines you had to follow. And so they come off this big victory and look at this last verse. It says in verse number 27, So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was noised throughout all the country. So now he wins this battle. Can you imagine if it happened today with Facebook and everything? It would just blow up. But it took a little bit of time for this to go. And and they started talking about how great this Joshua was. And how great his Lord was. I mean, he didn't even lift up. He didn't barricade things. He didn't try to knock the wall down. All they did was yell. And the walls fell. And then they went in and they did what they were supposed to. But can I tell you something? When you're dealing with sin, there's three things I want you to see this morning. Our sins will affect others. You don't think your sin will affect others, but it will. Because here it says in this last verse that everybody kind of knew around who Joshua was. But watch the next verse. Go to chapter 7 and you're going to see something. After one of the greatest battles... Without a sword raised to knock down walls, you'll see something happen. It says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass. It's basically saying that they all had sinned because of one man. It says the children, it says all of them had. Now keep going on this. It says, in the accursed thing, and here's the man, a man by the name of Achan, It says, for Achan, and it lists who he was, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord kindled against the children of Israel. Mark it down. When you do something wrong, it'll affect others. If I have a bad attitude, it's going to affect my wife. If I have a bad attitude, it's going to affect those around me. If I have a bad attitude, it's going to affect my kids. Right? You ever been there? You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for God's forgiveness in my life. I'm not perfect, and neither are you. But when things come in our life, we've got to handle it. And God told them what? Now, now God's in a predicament. Because He told them what to do and they didn't do it, right? So now He's got to handle it. How does He handle it? He tells Joshua, He said, something's wrong in the camp. The children of, of Israel, they've touched the accursed thing. God had given them the directions that they needed to do in verse number 11 and 12. And so He tells them what they've got to do. Go to verse number 11. It says, Israel has sinned, in, verse, in chapter 7, and they have also transgressed My covenant, which I commanded thee. For they have even taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and disassembled also, and they have put the, it even among their own, I like this, this King James word, stuff. They put them in, in all their stuff. And he knew exactly, see, Achan thought he was hiding things, but God knew the whole thing. See, when you think you're hiding things, God knows. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows your thought process. And that's why I like reading the Gospels, because the Gospels will tell you, on numerous times, Jesus is sitting there, and He's just listening to their thoughts, and He comments on their thoughts. And so here, here's the situation here, that, that, that they've got this great battle, and everything's going the right way. And so there's a little city called of Ai. Pronounce it any way you want. It's the letter A and I, so I'm going to say AI. Okay, and so there's this little town of AI, and Joshua, being the general that he is, he looks at it and goes, "Okay, we're going to send two or three thousand people down there. They can handle it, and everything's going to be okay." So he just sends. He ends up sending three thousand people. They go down there, and AI starts fighting back. And it might not seem like a big, significant number to you, but thirty-six men died. Can I tell you something about that? That means there were 36 mothers or fathers that lost their son. Could have been 36 wives that lost their husbands. Could have been 36 dads that lost, that their children would never see their dads. And the list goes on and on with this. They lost friends that day. Well, they come back, they can't figure out why they lost because he's done it in his mind and he's figured out how many he can have go there and all of a sudden they've lost. And then it comes out that there's a man in your camp that has done something wrong. And you need to handle it. He says to Joshua, he says, you need to handle it. See, what this guy had done is he had stolen. He had stolen the accursed thing because he takes a garment. But then he had also stolen things from God. He had taken some brass and some silver. Why did he do it? Well, you've you've got to understand the times back then. When you pilferaged a city, it was not uncommon for someone to take things like that. The soldiers would come in and take whatever they wanted. But on this occasionally, they said, no, don't you take anything. This is an accursed city. Don't take anything. We don't want anything back. If you notice what he took, he took a Babylonian outfit. Now, if he were to wear that, let's think this out. He was telling them where he took it. And so God has this system of trying to figure out who's doing it. He tells Joshua how to do it. Joshua follows it out, and he finds this Achan, and Achan comes to him through a process of elimination through the way God tells him to. Now watch what Achan says. Achan, he has stolen something that he knows he's not supposed to, but I don't think he understands the significance of it. And I wonder if he even put the 36 lives on his own life. But 36 men have died because of his sin. Because sin will just not only affect you, it'll affect others. But not only this, the first one, sins will affect others. But the second one is this, sins, our sins have to be dealt with. Sometimes we don't want to deal with our sins. Our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Sometimes we try to hide it. He has a confession and he understands the responsibilities. He has the consequences. He takes this garment and in verse number 20 of this chapter, he tells um, jo- um, Joshua what happens. He says, And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord of God of Israel. And thus, and thus have I done. He just, he just basically says, and I've done more than just this one thing. I've, I've done this, and I've done thus.' And then he says, When I saw among the spoils of the goodly Babylonian garment and the 200 shekels of silver and a, a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, Then I, what's the next word? This is the one for tonight, coveted them. And he acted upon that covenant and he took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of the tent and the silver under it. So here's a man that stole something that wasn't his. He stole something that was unclean. He also stole something from God because the gold and silver were supposed to be given back to the house of God. But there's always a penalty for your sin. There's always a penalty for your sin. He was put to death in verse number 25 and 26. But God used this situation to raise up Joshua and his army in chapter 8. Because what happens in chapter 8? Here we have Achan off the scene. He's died, he's stolen, he's he's died, and and they've killed all of his livestock. Some people say that they've killed his children I don't know if you read it, if that's, what I, that's not what I got, but if you want to read it and you see that that's, that's what you see, that's fine. But in the end, the next chapter comes along, and there's that city of Ai. And God tells Joshua what to do, and he goes into another battle. And he actually ambushes them because of what Achan had done. They think they can handle it. He sets it up. He pulls the people out of the city. When he pulls the people out of the city, the men go in, destroy the city, and then they have nowhere to flee. He ends up taking them and ends up hanging their king. You say, well, that's pretty brutal. Well, you know, when it comes to Achan's life, when you steal something, it's your fault. And God always deals with that. So often we think that God is so unfair. We talked about this last week. When Cain says, This is too much for me to bear. But he never thinks about what Abel must have went through. You know, we're supposed to not steal things from others. If I were to ask everybody in here, would raise their hand, Yes, I've taken something, right? Maybe a pen from work. Maybe a salt shaker from a restaurant, right? We've all taken something. But you know what we justify? Gary, we justify it by how much it costs. Well, it's only a salt shaker. I mean, hey, it was only a pen. It was only this. We sometimes can justify it as long as it doesn't cost over 5000 dollars it's okay, but that's not the way God looked at it. His sin cost 36 people's lives. And you know what sin he did? Thou shalt not steal. And he was told the rules. He didn't follow the rules. Now Here's something you've got to understand. Is stealing only stealing when it is a possession? See, that's not a true statement. I can steal something from you that is not a possession. Let me show you what I mean. I can steal your character. All I have to do is get on Facebook. I got out of Facebook because people said things about me and I didn't like myself anymore, so I got off Facebook. I mean, you can say some bad things. You can steal their character. You can steal their work ethic. Oh, they're not very hard workers at all. Did you ever think that maybe when they were working for you, they were sick? Anybody ever had, ever had to work when you were sick? Were you at your best ability? <laughs> Probably not. You know, we were shaking hands in the, back, in the back, and the boy in the back said, don't shake my hand, i got poison ivy. So if you shook his hand, you might have poison ivy. I don't. We'll have an outbreak of poison ivy at Bible Baptist. But, you know, as you look at this, we can steal things from people. We can steal their character. We can steal their work ethic. We can steal their testimony. You ever seen that happen? You say, well, th- that's just very hard to do. No, it's not. It's not hard at all. All we've got to do is I've got to just go to Daniel and say, did you hear what so and so did? I've stolen that person's testimony. I've stolen that person's character. We've got to watch what we say, because we can say things and steal things. Amen. So the first one that we're looking at today is stealing. Now the next one, you've got to follow along with me, because this, when I read this story, it's like, oh man, this is really harsh. This is really harsh, because number one, sin will always affect others. Number two, sin will have, will have to deal with sin. God deals with it all the time. That's why God says He'll forgive your sins. If you just ask Him, if you confess your sins. But the third thing is this, our sins cannot be covered. Let's look at this last one. Just to make it easy, as I said, you shouldn't lie. Thou shalt not, what? Bear false witness against thy neighbor. And I think it's very interesting that it says against thy neighbor. Because in the New Testament, Jesus says something about thy neighbor. Remember all that whole situation? And, and he, he tells the two um, commandments. And then one guy's trying to trick him and says, well, now tell me who, who is my neighbor. And then he goes on and he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And he says, who is the good, good, good neighbor? Referring to, it's anybody that's around us. Was the good Samaritan a neighbor of the guy in there? No, he really wasn't what we would consider a neighbor. He was just someone along the way, and that's what he's talking about. So now he says, listen, you should not bear false witness against thy neighbor. You should not lie. What happens when you lie? You know why you shouldn't lie? Because you have to cover it up with another lie. Then you have to figure out who knows that lie and how you're going to do this. I might say something to Bernard and then turn around and say something to Nathan and it might be two different things. And I got to think, okay, what did I tell Nathan? Well, if I would just told the truth, I just got, I got to say the same thing to both of them. And so we've got to watch this lying. We, we take it so lightly. And what does the world say? There's white lies, there's black lies, and then there's gray lies. See, I think well, if we were to be honest with ourselves, Abraham and Sarah... They told a gray lie, what we would say. But in God's eyes, it's still a lie. Amen. So the, the next one says, thou shalt not bear false witness. So let's look at a story in the Bible. I want you to turn in the New Testament, and I want you to go to the book of Acts. We're going to read this story, and then I'm going to show you exactly what this story is meaning because you have to read a little bit more than what I'm going to read you. When I read this, this is a very harsh story. But God does not anticipate you lying and getting away with it. God sees everything. We need to confess and do what's right. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 is dealing with a story, and we're going to read the first 11 verses. And when you read this, you go, man, this is pretty intense of what God's doing. It says in in verse number 5, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price his wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it on the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but look at this, but unto, what's the next word? God. Continue reading, it says in verse number 5, And Ananias, hearing these these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young man rose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. Not the end of the story. Because in verse number 5, it says he was conspiring with his wife. In verse number um, seven, it says, and it was about the space of three hours after. Now, this is how you know it was biblical times because if something happens now, everybody knows about it in three seconds, amen? He says, in a space of three hours, his wife comes back. And when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in, and Peter answered answered unto her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then, then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And look at the next verse. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. I want to wonder what the offerings were the next week. Amen. But you know, when you read that, you, you think it's really harsh. But they were lying. And sometimes we can just lie and flippantly say it. Sometimes we think it's funny when kids lie. I have, one of my girls was telling me, one time I, I, we had a boy that stayed at our house. We were, we, his mom and dad were having problems with him. He stayed at our house. And I walked up and I was around the corner and my, my oldest daughter asked him for ice cream for, for, for breakfast. She knew she wasn't supposed to eat ice cream. And she just kept asking, kept asking, kept asking. He, and finally, he had enough courage. He was a teenager. He finally said, I don't think your mom and dad would want you to have ice cream. And so I waited for that whole conversation to end. And then I walked around the corner and she saw me. And she just looked at me. And I said, Meg, I said, do you have something to tell me? Oh, no, nothing. And I said, didn't you just ask for some ice cream for breakfast? And she said, well, I didn't really want it. Meredith wanted it. Meredith asked me. And you know, at the time, you want to go out and laugh, but Meredith couldn't even talk at that time. She's just a baby. And sometimes we laugh at some lies that we have. And yet, she's, she trained just right off the bat, she could tell a lie and not even think about it. But there's always consequences to your life. God does not keep it uncovered. He will show your lies. You've got to understand this whole thing of why this was going on. And it all happens in Acts chapter 4. Let's go to Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to kind of tell you what's going on. The the church has just started, and it's growing in leaps and bounds. And as as Peter has stood up, the high priests have come to him and said, you need to stop doing what you're doing. And and he stands toe-to-toe with the priest. And then they come back, they formulate what they're going to do. They come back, and they attack him again, and, and they threaten him. And even through the threatening, which they thought would stop what he was doing, did not stop what he was doing. He stood toe-to-toe with them again. Then lo and behold, you figure out what the church is doing. It's growing, and astonishing things are happening, and Peter is determined. Go to verse number 29 and 30 in, this, in chapter 4. It says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. He's praying. He says, And grant thy the servant that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders be done, by the name of the Holy Child, Jesus. Now you're going to get a, a, a little aspect of what the church was there. Because he's going to kind of tell you what's going on in this church in the, in the next few verses. Go to verse number 33. He's going to kind of tell you what's going on. And, and as you look at this, you'll see some things to it. In verse number 30, 32, I'm sorry, verse 32, you see this. And the multitude of them that believed were of what? One heart and one soul. What's this this meaning? There was not bickering in a church. There was not arguing in a church. Everything was going well. And they saw numerous people getting saved and added to the church. I mean, you you study this church, 5,000 members, 5,000 men were added to it. But they had a problem. They couldn't take care of all the people. There were some people coming from all different sizes of, of classifications of social there were some that didn't have hardly any money. There were some that had extremely a lot, a large amount of money. But these two had combined, and the ones in the middle had combined, and nothing was going wrong. The spirit was great. Everything was great. There was not any bickering. There was not any fighting amongst each other. In fact, it, it, it says that they took their possessions and sold them to take care of all the people there. Let's look and see what it says. Go to verse number 33. So you have one heart and you have one soul in verse number 32, the church is. Verse number 33 says this, it says, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great, what's the next word? Grace is there. They're showing grace to people. It says great, great was upon them all. They were all in one accord. They all had one heart. Neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of lands or houses. Now look at this, it's plural. plural. It's saying, if somebody had extra land or extra houses, what would they do? It goes on and it says, sold them and brought the prices at which they were sold. So he sold, they would sell the, the, the land or the possession and they were using those. They weren't taking out their house that they lived in, they were taking out other things and they were helping the other people around them. It was basically a heart of caring for each other. And you're talking about thousands of people. It also shows you how much they had respect for the apostles. They laid it at their feet. And then they were to distribute it in verse number 35. But then you have this man come in in verse number 36, which is an interesting story. And see, this is why you've got to read this to understand chapter 5, because here comes a man, and I don't know how you want to pronounce his name, I'm going to say Hoseis, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite. Now, you've got to see that real quick. He's a Levite from the Levi travel, um, tribe. They didn't usually have land. They lived by faith. But it says, and of the country of Cyprus. And it says, having land, he sold it. And then it says he not only sold it and brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So now you've got to see the temperament of what's going on. This is happening all over with these people. And then Ananias and Sapphira come along. And what do they do? They, they sell a piece of land. It says property at one point, and it says a possession. Then one part it says land. And they come in, and they've got this whole conspiracy of what they're going to do. This is land that this wasn't where they were living. It was just extra land, and they were supposed to take care of these people in the church. And can I tell you, we're supposed to take care of each other. And I'm not talking about just financially. I'm talking about spiritually. Pray for each other. And here, he goes, he, they go and they throw it at, at their feet, and they've worked the system together saying, listen, they don't need all of it. They don't need all of it. We're going to take some back. In all actuality, they got all of it. He comes in and he, and he says how much it is, and, and God is speaking through Peter, and Peter says, hey, you tell me how much this was. And they both said the same price, and they both died for it. Amen. They were lying to the apostle, but they weren't just lying to the apostle. And I'm not, we're not going to have an offering in here and say, sell everything. That's not what I'm talking about. No, everybody just calm down with that, okay? But what, I, what I'm saying is they were concerned so much of other people, but you know what? Ananias and Sapphira were not. They were not of one, one accord. And you know what happens in this? You, get, you, you pay the penalty when you do something wrong. There's this whole big thing going on. All these people are joining the church. It's a, a, a miraculous event. And Josie comes in and he does it and they're just so amazed at what he's done. And then, how, what's the first word in that chapter? But. It's a conjunction that means opposite of what just happened. Then you have Ananias and Sapphira come in. You say, Pastor Wayne, that's pretty harsh. Well, you know what? Ananias and Sapphira were already taken care of. And it just showed you the heart. You know why God had to do this? He had to do it to bring that church back in. And all those other people that were thinking, see, we don't know how many other people were thinking and doing the same thing, but I guarantee you they stopped thinking it after what happened to Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira. Because it said in that last verse that they were scared of what was going on. We've got to see that God wants us to do certain things. He will give you definition by definition of by definition of what God wants. And he told them what the church was going to do. They agreed upon it and Ananias and Sapphira, what? They lied. And they paid the ultimate price with it. The early church and the battle of Jericho were significant stories of God's power in the Bible. But sometimes man gets in the way. And what does God have to do? He has to pull them back in. As the man that was preaching on Wednesday night, he was talking about the judges. The judges in Israel always had to do that. I mean, time after time after time, Israel was, would mess up and they would do this and the, the judges would swoop them back in here and the prophets would swoop them back in there and try to get them close to the Lord. And if you don't think things like that don't affect you, Read Joshua's story one more time because one thing I didn't tell you is he was doubting whether he should have even left the promised land because of what happened to those 36 men. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. Our sins will affect others. Our sins have to be dealt with and our sins cannot be covered. See, in Jericho, Achan was in the middle of the battle. He was fighting. He was there, right? I mean, he was in the middle of the battle, and, and he had he, probably seen battle after battle after battle, and he was in the, in the middle of the battle. But the problem was, he had sin in his heart. And all it was is he coveted something, then he took it. And that sin had to be dealt with. Let's think about Ananias and Sapphira. I know two things about Ananias and Sapphira. Number one, they were in church, Right? They were churchgoers, but they were liars when it came to God. And secondly, they were not only churchgoers, they were givers. See, because there were some people in that church that had nothing to give. But you know the problem with sin is you can have sin in your life, and then all you see is the sin in other people's lives. You don't think you can hide sin? Everybody in here, I've been in here the whole time. I've had sin in that pocket. You didn't know about it. I've had sin right here. There's sin in that pocket. We can hide it all at once. Actually, where's she at? Rosemary, don't get mad at me, okay? sin right there. It's in front of you the whole time. Brandon, do me a favor. Take your hymnal, go to the back of your hymnal. What's in the back of your hymnal? Sin. I watched him when we sang today. And Lee, you little rascal, you don't even know what you did. I was hoping that you would have all songs in the front of the hymnal <laughs> so that he wouldn't mess with it. I watched his hymnal when he sang that last song, and we sang at the very end. And he doesn't realize it, but in that hymnal, there was a space where that card was. And you, I could see it. But he didn't know it was there. What's scary about that is he's a police officer and he's supposed to notice things like that. (laughs) Okay? So, what kind of sin are we hiding? Might be just what you're saying. God does not take these lightly. It's not the 10 suggestions, it's not the 10 commandments. These are moral issues. I shared this with my son at school. But I am so thankful for my wife. She could be so bitter. Some of you don't know this. She was molested by her pastor. She goes to a funeral of her grandmother. Lo and behold, they call and they try to figure out, they can't even have a service in a in a. In a Place they didn't have enough money to, so they just had a gravesite service. And so they they call like anybody else would and call and get the cheapest place to go. And lo and behold, the cheapest place for them to go is Trinity Baptist Church Cemetery. The place where the pastor molested her. She goes to the funeral. They have that those tarps down where you walk on, or I, I think Astroturf or whatever. She goes to the funeral and she has to walk across. Whenever you go to funeral, you have to walk across graves. And she goes and she has, she goes to the funeral. And you know, I was praying for Russ because I was scared to death that she would see somebody, one of those deacons or one of these other people that have, have treated her wrong throughout the years. And I was just praying that she would have a a, a wonderful time with her family. She got done and she noticed one thing. There's a big, big um, place where, these, where all these caskets, where all the um, grave sites were. She didn't realize it, but to get to her, mother, her grandmother's funeral, she had to walk over Bob Gray's grave to get where she was. I want to tell you something. If I had a wife that was wanting to be full of sin and bitterness, it would have destroyed me. It didn't destroy her. The very end, she was holding her grandchild and everybody was leaving. Her mom and her, her brother didn't even realize it. But she stood on top of his grave without disrespect and she said this, and she shared it with our Sunday school this morning. Lord, what you thought, what this man thought was wrong in his eyes was going to destroy many people, but I'm not going to let it destroy me. Now, I want to tell you something. You can hold bitterness, you can hold sin in your life, and it will destroy you. Sometimes you can hold it right in your hand and not even know it. But I'm telling you, when you look at these Ten Commandments, these are not suggestions. You say, well, these are small ones. Do you not think when you look at this, when I say, thou shalt not kill, that's a pretty strong one. And thou shalt not steal, that's, that's not as strong as the first one. But in God's eyes, sin is sin. Sin. And if you want to hide it, you can try it and you can do whatever you want. Well, I was just, I was just talking and, and I was just doing this or I was just doing that. I went the wrong place. You can hide it all you think you can, but you know what? God knew exactly what Achan had done the whole time. God knew exactly what Ananias had done and God knew exactly what Sapphira had done. And he dealt with it. As a church, we've got to get sin out of it. Because sin will try to destroy your life. And we've got to see that God has something for us. Because I'm telling you, if you say, well, I only do this sin or do that sin, go back to this. What was the sin that got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden? It wasn't one of these major sins that we would come up with. It was just a sin of disobedience. God wants us to obey His Word. He wants us not to lie, and He wants us not to steal. Now, remember when you steal something, how you would feel... If, it was, if you were the one that being stolen from. And remember, if you lie about somebody or something, how would you feel if the lie was about you? We need to make sure we do this right. Understand the Ten Commandments are there to protect us, not to hurt us. And God wants us to be moral people. He wants us to be righteous people. He wants us to do what's right. With every head bowed and every eye closed. talked about nine of the commandments. Tonight we'll talk about the 10th one. Honestly, the 10th one is the easiest one to hide. Sometimes it never comes out. But we need to be thankful that God gave us the rules to play the game and follow those rules. Ananias and Sapphira are pretty harsh. Achan, pretty harsh. But it kind of tells you what God thinks of these sins. He wants us to do what's right. He wants our heart right. He wants our attitude right. He doesn't want us to steal possessions. He doesn't want us to steal character. He does not want us to steal testimonies. He does not want us to steal anything. He wants us to live the right life. What are we doing to do it? We need to be moral Christians. No one looking around. How many of you know when you've told a lie? No one looking around. Would you raise your hand? You know, I do. I got my hand raised. Instantly, God tells me, hey, the Holy Spirit says you've done something wrong. How many of you ever stolen something and you instantly knew that you had stolen it? Absolutely. All over the auditorium. The problem is, is when you do it, the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you anymore. That's when you're in a dangerous spot. Just like Samson was when he when he got up the last time and didn't realize he had lost his power, and God took and God did some amazing things to get it back him back in order. Lord, I love these people. I'm not perfect. I know I'm not. Neither are these people. And so often we read Your Word and we look at it and we think, How in the world can I even do this? Thou shalt not lie. That's hard to do because there's so many things that go on in our life that we can maybe take an easy route by just exaggerating something or changing the subject. But Lord, let us be men of men and women of character. You no, know, Lord, I think of stealing something. Man, we can take a possession or we can take a character, we can assassinate people. Oh, we're just, that's not a big deal. It is a big deal, Lord. I thank you for the examples of Ananias and Sapphira. Do I think we'll see Ananias and Sapphira again? I do. But their life was shortened because of what they did. Lord, may we see the true significance of telling the truth and not stealing. How so much they intertwine with each other. And Lord, we thank you for the Ten Commandments you've given us. There's someone in this room that doesn't know you as personal Savior. They're believing a lie. Lord, because my Bible tells me that you died on a cross for me. You were sinless. You had no sin. You died on a cross, and three days later, you rose again. There's not been one second that my wife has thought that when she'd go down there, she would see her grandmother walking around because she could not resurrect herself. But God, you did that. We thank you for that. And Lord, be with this invitation that we'll just understand the significance of telling the truth and not taking things that are, that are, are not ours. May we see that we no, don't need to steal and we don't need to bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thank you again for the examples you've given us and may we learn from them. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you could stand for us in just a second, Lee's going to sing a, two stanzas of a, of a song. And I think if we we're really honest with ourselves, these are, these are a sin that we all deal with, lying and stealing. But God does not look at them as small insignificant things because they will always add and add, especially lying. It just keeps compounding itself with it. Why don't we just get it settled and say, Lord, I'm going to try to be righteous. I'm going to try to be moral people and follow what your word says and not steal and not lie. And when, God, when you do it, may you be convicted so heavily that you know it many of you in here would say, you know, there's times I have to deal with these things in my life with no one looking around. I want to just pray for you. There's people raising their hand all over. Let's just have a good time in the Lord's house. Let's get this settled. Let's have the church we need to have, just like they had in Acts chapter 4. Let's get this right. Lord, I thank you so much for this day. May people move and may people sit at their pews or come to this old-fashioned altar and just get things settled, that they'll understand that these things we sometimes call white lies can destroy us because they can grow and grow and grow. And then the addiction of stealing something, we get a, a, a rush on something that we, may, maybe we've taken or something, and then it grows and grows and grows on us also. May we understand that we can not only just steal possessions, but we can steal character and we can steal um, issues of people's lives. May we not be that type of person. May we not be that type of church. And we'll give you all the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name.